the misfit. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ministry Misfits. Andrew and I are in studio today as we're kind of closing down the end of season two here. Yeah, we've got what? Uh, Maybe four or five more weeks? Something like that. We So if you don't know because you haven't been paying attention at all, because we've said it a couple of weeks now, but March, we're not going to be doing any normal episodes. Patreon supporters or anybody that is interested, we may be doing, potentially if we can figure out the scheduling, we may be doing a Bible study during the month of March that would be over like a Zoom type of thing um, going through the book of Galatians. So if you're interested with that, either contact us and let us know you're interested or just go join Patreon because any level of Patreon will get that. We may create a new level on Patreon just for people that are interested in doing the Bible study portion. But that's in March. Mm -hmm. After March, we'll be into season three. If everything works out the way it's supposed to, we've got a new design that we're going with in studio for to celebrate season three. But that's assuming that everything actually, you know, works how it's <laughs> supposed to. But speaking of working like it's supposed to, we told you last week that we had a guest. Yeah, and... It's just us today. And it's just us because, unfortunately, okay. Prudy had a schedule change. So, Prudy now will be coming in next week. Yeah. And he is going to still be talking with us about the caste system in India and about Hindu nationalism and what that all looks like and how he's dealing with that there as a believer. But today, we're skipping ahead on our schedule that nobody except for us knows about. And we are going to just dive in and talk Christian nationalism. Yeah, and some people may think this is pinpointed, but it's... Yes, it's, it is uh, not. This, Like I said, this has been on the schedule that nobody knows existed for a while. It's just that it was supposed to be like two or three weeks from now instead of this week. So we are, we're going to, to dive in, and this really is part of what, you know, last year, January through February... We focused in on, do you remember, Brandon? Kind of, um, I was going to say the Cold War theology. That was just a piece of it. We yeah. focused in on church history largely, right? We mm -hmm. were talking about, we talked about the history of the church in general. We talked about the muscular Christianity movement and what that looked like. We talked actual history with Beth Allison Barr. We talked Cold War theology. We talked all these different things. We talked doctrine, essential doctrines, everything. This year, for January to February, we're also doing a, a very pointed mini-series that is focused in on abuses within the church. So we talked patriarchy. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking caste system, which is very much similar to what we deal with here in the U.S. with classism. That's part of why we are talking about it. We're going to be talking slaveholder theology with Joe Ash, assuming that his schedule calms down for a second. Which also, you're gonna not want to gonna miss that because I found out some very interesting backstory to Joe Ash, and I'm very excited to be able to ask him a couple questions on that one. <laughs> so if you were if you're on Twitter and saw that, you know what I'm talking about. But I actually found the video because I bribed Joe Ash to send me the video. So <laughs> I'll explain that to you once right. we're at a break. But. Um, we're going to be talking slaveholder theology. Um, we're also going to be talking what it means to actually have to leave a church and why people, unfortunately, have to actually leave a church occasionally. We have both been in that situation, mm -hmm. um, but we're hopefully going to be talking with Nomadic Soul about all of that as well. But today we're looking at a biggie within church abuse, and that is Christian nationalism. And it's going to be interesting to do this because of the fact that right off the bat, we have an issue of the fact that people are going to tell us that what we are talking about is not actually Christian nationalism. So we're going to do this. We're going to break this up and we're going to define what it is we're actually talking about. We're going to define why everybody says we're not actually defining it. 
We're then going to break it down into nationalism and Christianity, and then hopefully we're going to look at it all as one big piece here at the end. Yeah, and I think a lot of people haven't always put a name to it as well. Right. Uh, until as of recently, there's been more higher level officials or and or politicians, um, people, right. religious got, people in power that have even put a name to this. Right. Now. You have politicians using these langu- this language. You've got church leaders using this language. You also have some of us that have been calling this stuff out for a while have been using similar language, even if we haven't named it Christian nationalism. We've used both terms in conjunction with each other. Mm-hmm. We talked about this with the Cold War theology, that the Cold War theology has led us up to this point. But this is not the same thing as what we talk about with Cold War theology. This is a different branch of ideology. It's connected, but it's not necessarily the same. And so that's why we're going to actually break it down into tiny little pieces. So why it's debated, first of all, is that there are a couple of different schools of thought related to what we mean when we say Christian nationalism. Normally, they're called Project 1 or Project 2. Project 1, which this would be more along the lines of the new book that was released by Stephen Wolf of the case for Christian nationalism. And that is the idea of we need to actually create distinctive Christian nations. This is almost like we're trying to create our own Israel? In a lot of ways, yes. This is where some of the replacement theology and things come in as well. But it's this idea of the nation needs to be Christian, and it needs to be distinctively Christian. Is there, now, there's, is there a consequence also tied to it? Well, if, if we don't, that's a, there's, there's different thinkings within all of these different projects. So okay. you've got some that are saying it needs to be distinctively Christian because if it's not, then we are Babylon, hmm. right? It's the, the idea of Babylon and revelation. There are also this idea of we need to have a government that proclaims themselves as Christian and governs themselves off of God's law. But that doesn't mean that everybody in the nation necessarily has to be a Christian. It just means they have to live as Christians. There's also Project 2, which is going to be the easiest for us to debunk all the way around because we already did an entire episode doing that, which is Project 2 would be, it's just we have to recover America's Christian heritage. The reason that's easy to defeat is because we've already talked about there is no actual Christian heritage to the United States. And so you're not able to recover something that's not there. Yeah, it's kind of going back to the going back to the roots. Yeah, per se. it's the Cold War theology stuff of yeah. it was never actually a Christian nation to begin with. Now, there is some things within this one that point to it in the fact that the Puritans that we talked about, the American Puritan movement. They were Christian nationalists. So if you want to talk about recovering America's Christian values, pointing to the Puritans, you could maybe make an argument that that's what you're doing. But even there, I would say you're not actually recovering an American heritage. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a couple of clarifiers here is that Christian nationalism is not claiming to be theocracy or theonomy. And that's important. Because we don't want to accuse them of something they're not claiming, even though in a lot of cases, they end up kind of merging together. So do you remember remember back to when we talked about all these different terms? Theocracy would be what, Brandon? I was about to ask you. I'm struggling on both of these so definitions. A theocracy, we live in a... Democracy. Democracy, right? It's a democratic government. So the... C-R-A-C-Y is what ends up not crazy, crusty. <laughs> I thought I had in my head. It was I, know, crazy. I looked at your eyes and you're like, he just spelled crazy in his head and is trying to figure out where we're going with this. No, that, that little suffix is what we use when we're talking about a government. You know, autocracy, democracy, all of these different things. A theocracy is when the church or the clerics of the church are at the head of the government. This is why Israel was not actually a theocracy. 
Because who was actually supposed to be the head of the government? Christ or the Messiah. God, yeah. right? God was the head of the of Israel's society, not the church. The church just was serving. Mm-hmm. This is also part of the reason why Samuel is so upset when they demand a king, because they're literally saying we want somebody other than God to be the head of state. Yeah, like, but God's are, are like, sure? it's okay. All right, here you go. Here's which, what you want. Right, which I can imagine Samuel is like, what are you talking about when God says, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> we can do this, it's all right. And because Samuel's just been certain, like, God does not does not share power. God does not want all this stuff. And yeah, yet, he knows it's not going to end. And that, well. yeah, here we go. So, yeah, a theocracy is not what a Christian nationalist movement is talking about. They're not necessarily talking about the church taking power. They're talking about the people in power being members of the church, which is an important distinction. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some theocratists that claim Christian nationalism, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about. Theonomy is the idea of we have to actually rule the land using the Bible as our law book. So that includes Old Testament laws must be actually upheld. It's really sticky then. Very sticky. (laughs) And somehow this is not actually Christian nationalism. Although if you're going to put theonomy up on a pedestal as far as the laws you're going to end up with a Christian nationalist state. So it is, but it isn't. You don't have to be a Christian nationalist to be a theonomist, and you don't have to be a theonomist to be a Christian nationalist, but they they, they coincide they may, yeah, a lot. intersect a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And now all of that, Christian nationalism claims their biblical authority based off of one verse, and that is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So I guess two verses, but one passage. Yeah. It's the Great Commission, right? Mm-hmm. What is it? Great Commission is what? Therefore, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the idea is that what it's actually saying is we are to disciple the nation, not the people inside of it. And so a Christian nationalist is saying that the goal of the church is to make a disciple of the state and then which, which should trickle down to the people it's yes it's trickle down which anybody that knows economics knows that that never works <laughs> so that's what the argument <laughs> is from as far as what it is we're talking about and the reason we have to go through all that is because there are people that claim christian nationalism doesn't exist that it's the boogeyman Ironically, they're the ones that claim CRT to be the end of everything. Now claim that this is the actual boogeyman, even though it's been proven that CRT is a boogeyman for a lot of people Mm -hmm. because they don't even know what it is. And Christian nationalism, there are books being written about it and major seminary professors proclaiming it and major U.S. politicians proclaiming it. This definitely exists and definitely is an issue. We've got the receipts. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we are going to now break this down. We're going to start by just looking at nationalism itself to show, one, what it is, and two, why there is no actual biblical, theological, any kind of Christian basis for any of this. Spoiler alert, there's not. (laughs) So... We're going to start just looking at nationalism. So nationalism is a ideological idea of it's a, it's a goal. It's, it's where they want the government going, a style of ideology, a style of government. The, the dictionary definition is loyalty and devotion to a nation, especially a sense of national consciousness exalting one nation or ethnicity above all others and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to those of other nations or supranational groups. So supranational, Brandon, would be what? I'm trying to break down the the words here. Um, a larger organization i don't know a like larger a larger a body i don't global. know how to, it's yeah, more okay. of a globalized idea and so the first 
part of what we're going to be dealing with here also is, again, this is coming out of a false eschatology. Because what is one of the things that we read about that happens with the Antichrist? They set up a what? A one world government? One world global government. A supranational organization. And so the idea then is that in order to keep the Antichrist at bay, there cannot be any kind of globalism. Hmm. There's a major problem with that, and we'll get to it here shortly. Now, historically, like I said, historically, there is also ethnic ties to all of this. This is part of what we see within the definition as far as its national consciousness exalting one nation above all others, and I added ethnicity in there because of the fact that it's all about an emphasis on the culture and interests of that nation. Mm -hmm. And we see this throughout history. Israel, in a lot of ways, was supposedly the same people that claim it's a theocracy would claim it's nationalist, right? It's all about the Jews. Yeah. There's a problem with that thinking also, and we'll get to that here towards the end. But going back or going forward in history, the French revolutions, all of them, because there's a lot of them, <laughs> all were tied to French pride, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about us. It's not about the aristocracy anymore. You know, it's freedom to the people. The Russian revolutions, even the one that were communist, were about Russian. It was about Russia. Hitler, obviously, was a nationalist. That's part of what Nazi stands for, is the Nationalist Socialist Party. It's nationalism, socialism. That's what it is. Mussolini was a nationalist. Japan was nationalist. So pretty much all of the bad guys in World War II were preaching nationalism. Even now, today, we see this sort of thing happening because this is literally the the argument on both sides of the Russia-Ukraine war going on right now. Russia claims that the eastern side of Ukraine all are actually what? They're not Ukrainian, they're... Russian. Russian. And they speak Russian, and so they should be part of, of Russia. The Russian nation, yeah. The rest of Ukraine all are saying what? We are Ukrainians. Ukrainian, yeah. We've and so got we should have territory. a united Ukraine. It's all about a national identity. That's that's exactly what is going on over there. Now, there's all these other strategic things going on and all the geopolitical stuff. But at the heart of it, it's all about both sides are claiming that these people are their own. Mm-hmm. What is the problem with this sort of idea biblically? Well, I would say that one of the first things is we're create man is creating borders and division ourselves. If we're creating, well, who created ethnicity though? Mm, are we going to God? God creates ethnic groups, right? Yes. This is what Tower of Babel is. That's what I was trying to think he of. He divides like, everybody Tower up. Tower of Babel where everyone can't... I was like, would that be more language, though? or would that... Well, language is part of ethnicity, though, right? Yes. I mean, that, that again, that's the claim going, going over to Russia and Ukraine, is that they're speaking Russian, they should be part of Russia. God is the one that divides up and sends people out on their ways based off of their ethnic identities they can they can understand each other and so they are going together they now are developing culture they now are spreading out and being fruitful and multiplying across the world mm -hmm. that is not a problem what is the problem so you're saying the the borders aren't the borders aren't necessarily even the problem this is where we get into the the theology side of this is that the rallying cry for many within the Christian nationalist movement is America first. 
make America great again. Yeah. So, so you're saying the priority. The priority of the nation above all others or even to the detriment of others is a should be a problem for anybody that is claiming to be a Christian. Because what is it that we are actually called to be as Christians? Image bearers. We're image bearers. Everybody's image bearers, though. Mm-hmm. So everybody's an image bearer. Why do we want detriment to come to other image bearers? But beyond that, we are called to bless others and not curse them. And we are called to seek the prosperity of the city that we are in, not our own city. We're seeking the prosperity of where we are. And we are supposed to consider others more highly than ourselves. So why do we have any idea that God wants us to seek America's prosperity over the prosperity of anybody else, or even to the detriment of other peoples. I think what we see is if people look back and they'll see, all right, one nation under God. And so they'll see tag words or key phrases that on paper sound good. Um, and seeing different shifts in our nation here, um, on either laws that are being created or systems being put in place or systems being broken down, more importantly. Which is much more of what people are angry about. <laughs> yeah. And it creates change, which first and foremost, people don't like most of the times as humans. We don't like change. Right. Um, but I think people think it's this, what we had before, because we weren't living in it. We only hear stories that it was the good old days, as people like to say. <laughs> Well, and and going a step further than that, the idea that we are one nation under God and that this has always been the case. The idea then is that, well, if we're the one nation under God, then that means that God has already selected us to be the ones that should be at the top. I also think the funny part about it, too, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say funny, sad part, is that <laughs> if we are the, the one nation under God, if you want to claim Christian nationalism, then you should be open to refugees and others coming well, into our nation. And <laughs> that is where we're going to start walking into, because the other side of nationalism is an ethnocentric ideal. Within the United States, what is our ethnicity? Did you say we don't have one, right? Yeah, I was like, that's literally part of the the marketing of the United States is that it's a melting pot. You can come, you know, bring me your tired, your weary, your broken. Because we don't technically even have a national language. There is none, right? Most people speak English, but if you speak English in Ohio compared to in Alabama, people look at you weird Mm -hmm. because our English is not the same. You know, just me or trying to order a soft drink in a southern state does not go the same way that it should up here. Yeah, do you want Coke? Or even just Coke, ask, or do you want <laughs> even just trying to order iced tea? If you order tea in the South, it's automatically sweet. Yep. It's not here in Ohio. <laughs> we don't even have the same language type of thing. So if if in order for there to be a nationalist ideal. There has to be some kind of ethnic tie to it. The French revolutions could be nationalist because to be French was a very specific thing. The the nationalist movements within certain places within Africa could work because they had tribal ties that allowed them to have one ethnicity they were fighting for. Same thing with any of the revolutions that you have throughout the ones in Russia the ones even during the Soviet Union, all of the uprisings that you had with all these smaller satellite states, all of these sort of things could work. Germany was able to have a nationalist leader rise to power because there was something that meant to be German. Japan was always about Japan, and so it was always a nationalist state. It just became radicalized. But in the U.S., we don't have that, except for one thing that historically has been the ethnocentric ideal within America, which has been white supremacy. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why people, typically people that you talk to, they want to say, yeah, we want to go back because we were in a place of power. Right. They might, they're not going to say that, but that's... Well, and that's the thing, though. They're not going to say that explicitly, but they will actually say it. Because many of the leaders that are talking about Christian nationalism, not just nationalism, we're talking Christian nationalism. So these are theology professors, seminary presidents, pastors, people that are proclaiming this is what God is calling us to do. This is the goal we should be setting. Many of them are pointing to specific key leaders as far as they're defining the terms. And these same leaders that are defining the terms are ones that are making public statements about needing to return to kinism. Kinism is the idea that you can only marry people within your ethnic group. It's about ethnic purity. They are making statements like only property owning males should be allowed to vote. The majority of property owners within the United States are what? Are you saying today? Yes. White. White. And this is literally the language that came out of the U.S. segregation Jim Crow movements. And the redlining. And the redlining and everything else. So this idea of only property-owning males could vote was the initial way that the country was founded. Because that ruled out all women and anybody that was not white. These sort of things are by default what comes out of a nationalist ideal. And we have proof of this even happening. So like I said, these are statements that have been made by the leaders within the Christian nationalist movement. We also have screenshots if you go to our, my Twitter page and look at the, the pinned tweet at the top. We screenshotted direct quotes from people proclaiming Christian nationalism as they were racially abusing a black Christian. And they proclaimed that they were allowed to do this because this is what God had decreed. Mm. That is a direct violation of the Imago Dei. Yeah. And would you say that probably to some extent, nationalism on its own will probably always exist within a nation. Like there will be that sense of pride and betterment for ourselves well, to continue to that would not necessarily be nationalism and this is what there i can't i'm losing his name he was originally supposed to come on and then again schedules didn't work but he wrote a book detailing the difference between nationalism and patriotism what you're talking about there is patriotism right love of country yeah support of country mm-hmm. nationalism is an exaltation of country And specifically, it's an exaltation of country above all else, including because of the way that they're treating other people, it's pretty easy to see that it's including God himself. It's America overall. Yeah, that's why I think that the Christian nationalism is the the, the scary part because now you're tying biblical definitions to the nationalism not just this man-made nationalism that we have within different countries now you're tying god's name to it right and that is why we're going to start breaking down the second half of that name right after this break we'll be right back Season two of the Ministry Misfits podcast and our awesome theme song are brought to you by Laird Creative Agency. In our social media world, the next connection is always one click or scroll away and your business has to be ready when they find you. That's why Laird Creative is always looking for ways to step your brand up. Whether you're looking to overhaul your brand one time with a new website or want to save money by outsourcing your graphic and media content, Laird Creative Agency is here to help. Laird Creative's mission is to take the difficulty out of the creative process. With Laird Creative, you'll find a dedicated team of artists ready to tackle any creative need that your business has, big or small. 
If you're looking for an easier way to share the vision of your organization through thoughtful branding and creative content, find them at LairdCreativeAgency.com to get started. Mention the Ministry Misfits podcast and get a free consultation call. Laird Creative, step your brand up. Today's a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your online reach. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online listed on all major platforms within minutes of finishing your first recording. We just switched to Buzzsprout for Season 2 and have immediately noticed the difference. With Buzzsprout, you get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into your websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and Buzzsprout and the Misfits want to help you get started. Contact us for a free consultation call, and then visit our affiliate link to get started with Buzzsprout. Using this link not only helps support the Misfits, but it also gets you a $20 Amazon gift card. The teams at Buzzsprout and Ministry Misfits are passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. To find out more, go to www.ministrymisfits.com backslash affiliates. We're back. Everyone, welcome back. Today, Andrew and I are, we switched gears up a little bit from what we originally had planned, but we're talking about the fun topic of Christian nationalism. Yeah, fun is a good word for it. Yeah, yeah, we we started out explaining what it is that we're actually talking about, and we've kind of started the process of breaking down the terms a little bit. Mm-hmm. Nationalism, we said, was it's an ideology of the exaltation of a nation state to the detriment of others. And it's tied to an ethnocentric identity, which within the United States can only be tied to white supremacy. There is no other option. That, that's just the way it is. That alone should be enough for people to start questioning how can we claim there's any sort of idea of Christian nationalism mm-hmm. because we have idolatry of the state. We have a denial of love of neighbor and we have a denial of the Imago Dei all wrapped up just in the definition of nationalism. <laughs> but the argument is going to be, well, Christian nationalism will correct all of that. That's what we're going to find out. Yes, because they're we're claiming they're claiming that God's rules are what's best for everyone. So we're right. gonna now the definition of a Christian Brandon, what would that even be? I would say somebody that has within their heart or publicly claimed to Christ that he has died for our sins or for their sins. Um they've repented of that. And um, realize that Christ has risen again, and so there's also we've we've talked about a few different things before too. So that but... <laughs> that's the basic of what does it mean to become a Christian? Is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you'll be saved. If you want to argue that that's what it means to be a Christian, then go back and read Romans 10 because that was literally a quote from Paul. <laughs> if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he has been raised from the dead, then you will be saved. That's Romans ten nine. That is what it means to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean to actually be a Christian is a little bit more than just that, right? Correct. Because that is the moment of salvation. Yes. But we want to see more than that. We want discipleship. And so discipleship looks like Love of God, love of neighbor, mm-hmm. right? The two commandments that we see in Micah 6, Matthew Matthew 22, John 13, 1 Corinthians 13, Philippians 2. Then there's also love of enemies that we see in Matthew 5, Matthew 22, John 13, 1 Corinthians 13, and Philippians 2. And I would say that one probably gets skipped over the most. That one gets skipped over a lot, like, especially like in this conversation. 
then we have the idea of go into all the world, make disciples, baptize, and then disciple the dis- disciple, disciple makers. Mm-hmm. That's Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and Acts 1. We would also say that part of this would be enduring hardship and fulfilling our ministries, which is out of Second Timothy 4. Then we have the other pieces of what it means to be a Christian. We know that if you are a Christian, you will have gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts should be used for the edification of others, for others within the church and others outside of the church. That's Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And then we also should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5. The fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you will have these things. That would be the basic of what it means to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. If you want to dispute that, again, (laughs) I gave you (laughs) different episode, and I literally gave you all of the scripture passages, and this is basic Sunday school level stuff here. Minus maybe the endure hardship, fulfill the ministry. They may not mention that part in your Sunday school. Now, that is what it means to be a Christian. What is not listed there? There's a lot of things that are not listed there. <laughs> uh, basically, love of self and or self in general. Love of self is nowhere near here. Yeah. Because it's all about either God or other people. Mm-hmm. So that that's not what it means to be a Christian. Is <laughs> not loving of self. But there's also nowhere in here talking about a following of the law. There is nowhere in here talking about a certain set of required dress or behavior outside of loving others and the fruits of the spirit. By law, are you saying like Old Testament law or governing law? We're talking the Old Testament law. Okay. There's nothing to do with the Old Testament law here, other than that loving God and loving others is what Micah 6 tells us is all God is looking for. There's no theology knowledge requirements here either. Right? Mm -hmm. This is all just basic, do this, love God, love others. Just show the fact that you are saved through the fruits of the spirit and by using your gifts to build other people up. Yeah. That is what it means to be a Christian. All these other creeds and things are not what it means to be a Christian. You do not have to be reformed or Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox or any of these other things to be a Christian. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead. Love God, love neighbor. Go out and make disciples, baptize them, mm-hmm. and then send them on their way to make more disciples, not send them on their way. That's the wrong <laughs> message. I just realized, that's what we like to do. I just realized that was the problem is that that's the <laughs> method that we see a lot of times. We say, all right, you're saved. Goodbye. So if this is what it means to be a Christian, why does Christian nationalism not even work in terms of using the two terms together? Well, I think um, typically the order is incorrect of priority. I think what we'll see is love God. They'll put that up top of the love of God is supposed to be there. And that love can be loose, loosely (laughs) defined. But then it becomes love of nation second. And then it could be whatever you want to put down the row. So when you change up the order from... God and take out others or loving others again before self, then that's where things really get tricky. I think because nation that seems self-centered in a way, because you're saying, okay, it's not the foreign nation. It's not, I'm loving a nation from afar. It's I'm upholding my nation where I live and specifically America, which is not necessarily an issue. Because again, Jeremiah 29, 7 is seek the prosperity of the city that you're in. Because when it prospers, you will prosper. Mm-hmm. But the key word, word there is you're seeking the prosperity of the city that you're in. 
That means it's not your own. Because if we're claiming to be Christians, this is not our country. Mm -hmm. We are waiting to be able to return to ours. We are in exile. We are refugees. Yeah. To have a couple people's head spins with that one. (laughs) We seek the prosperity of the city we are in, not because of our own benefit, but because of the fact that we are supposed to be seeking everybody else's prosperity instead of our own. But when we do that, we do see benefit in our in our situation as well. Yeah. Especially when we're talking about something that is more far reaching than just loving of neighbor to the point of you're loving everybody within a certain border. That in itself is not a problem. The problem becomes when the love of nation is all about love of self. Mm-hmm. Because your nation is only the people that think and act and look like you. Yeah. Again, even that getting rid of the loving of your enemy. Right. We no longer can love our enemy because there are enemies. Even if it's just a thought enemy in ideology. You can't be a Christian if you believe in this. You can't be a Christian if you vote this way. You can't be a Christian if you... And this was an argument I saw on on Twitter the other day is if you speak other languages besides the one that you were born into, you cannot be a Christian. This was an argument from a pastor that was upset about pastors that are talking in Greek and Hebrew from the pulpit, Hmm. that that is false theology because God gave you English. And so English is the one that you were supposed to use because if not, then you are speaking in tongues. And that is a violation of our cessationist movement. Interesting. That's not Christian nationalism, but it comes from the same ideology of us over everything. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing we talked about with the patriarchy stuff last week with Pastor Andy. The claim is that we're returning to the way that God intended. But in doing so, we're putting male over God. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that completely goes to what we talked about last week of if we go back to Genesis before the fall, yeah, there's a lot we're not aiming at. And so the reason this does not work is that the call of the church is service and not dominion. John 13, John 18, Matthew 5 through 7, Matthew 25. Dominion is not in our description whatsoever. The call of the church is actually globalist and not nationalist. And this is where we're going to start to have people get angry. This is coming out of Matthew 28. The same argument they are, same verse they are trying to argue for nationalism instead of globalism is exactly where we see globalism instead of nationalism from the church. And that's the key word is that we're talking about the church is global. Mm Mm-hmm. All of us that are exiles together waiting for our home, we are global, not national. Yeah. And it takes it to the effect that, well, if you're not part of America or you're not part of the American church, then your theology is incorrect or you don't know the right. true Jesus or you don't experience him how I do. Well, this even goes into the stuff with the arguments against Martin Luther King. The idea that Martin Luther King had bad theology comes out of one paper he wrote in seminary. Martin Luther King wrote that paper as a homework assignment. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to write a homework assignment paper that we don't like or that we disagree with later on. (laughs) There's quite a few that I have written that I wrote in college that I would not uphold now. That's how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But their argument is that because he went to this liberal seminary, he no longer should be listened to. Yeah, all all of his. But the reason he was at that seminary was partly also because the white seminaries that they're claiming would have given him correct theology would not allow him in because of his ethnicity. You think that you're attacking his theology, but in reality, you are attacking who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see with a lot of these nationalist arguments is you think you're attacking 
an ideology of communism. You think you're attacking an ideology of sexual immorality or all these other little things, drunkenness of promiscuity of all these other little things that you think you're attacking. But in reality, what you are actually attacking is not a sin lifestyle or a different ideological lifestyle. You are actually attacking the person for not looking or thinking or talking like you. And it's nothing to do with the list we already described as far as what it looks like and means to actually be a Christian. And especially when we start talking about globalism over nationalism, why do we think that us here in one of the youngest countries on earth, that God only wants us to evangelize within our borders? And if we do send missionaries off to other countries, we want to send them the Americanized version of the gospel. Yeah, part of it's that white savior. Right. Because again, well. yeah. what's our what is the only national ethnic identity that the US can have? It's white supremacy. Yeah. And that even includes what we have seen within our churches. Because I mean, we look at most mission trip models and again, at the heart of it, it's not a bad thing. Right. It's just bad theology. Yes. And a lot, again, it's, you're there, your goal is to convert these people that you're going to meet for three, four days. Let's be honest. Right. And then never see them again. And we're missing that whole discipleship part. There's no discipleship and there's not even an, a recognition of the cultural values that the people even have. Mm Mm-hmm. Most of the time, this is what we talked about with Alan back when we, the first time, or this, yeah, the first time we talked about India. India had a thriving church. And then the colonists come in and say, no, you're doing church wrong because it doesn't look like ours. And because of that, now all of a sudden, people that have been saved and have this great rich theological history are now told you were never saved to begin with. That is not what the call is supposed to look like. The call is that we are a church of every tribe, nation, and language. Not of this tribe over here, this tribe over here, this tribe over here. And you guys stay separate and you guys do church yourselves. But I'm going to tell you if your tribe is not doing it correctly, even though I don't even know what language you're speaking. Yeah, and I mean... We don't have to go to another country to see this. Right. Like, we see this. You go so, down the street. Yeah, where you, you <laughs> see the suburban versus the city church, the different denominations, whatever. I always say, you, you talk to somebody and you ask, what church do you go to? And they say, whatever one. And immediately the first thing is jumping out in your head is, oh, that's the church that does X, Y, Z wrong. Right. We never talk about what we're, what we're doing. Right. In. Yeah. And. But we always say, oh, that's wrong, or this is incorrect, or I don't prefer that style. So we immediately go to the in attack mode. And that is that is part of the issue within the nationalism mindset, is that it requires an attack or defense position at all times. Because it's all about the sanctity of the state. The sanctity of the state is determined based off of what we have control over. Perseverance? or. It's just what we have control over in general. It's, do we have control over this? Do we need control over this? Strategically, do we need control over this? Or it's, we have to defend ourselves and keep ourselves secure. That doesn't work within a church or just general Christian life model. Going forward with it, the call of evangelism for the church is about people not nations. This is, again, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, and it's the entirety of both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the book of Acts. (laughs) John explicitly is all about the individual person, not about the nation that they claim to be a part of. Because Jesus talks with Samaritans. Jesus talks with Gentiles. Jesus talks with Jewish leaders. 
Jesus talks with oppressed Jews. Jesus dines with all of them. Jesus even talks to the dead people. I mean, he does not discriminate in any way with who he is spreading the message to, right? True. I mean, you can't even you can't even say that death is enough that Jesus is not going to potentially minister there. He calls Lazarus out by name to come back into the light. Mm-hmm. We are about people, not about the government. And that is part of where all of these sort of things have to start breaking down as to why we are saying that it's not just a bad idea, but that it is actually a false gospel. Is that we've already talked about a couple of different areas that nationalism in itself fails a theology test. But even within the idea of a Christian nation, we are not going to be able to pass a theology test with this. And we'll keep that going here in a minute because the call of the church, again, is about submission to the government and not control of the government. This is Jeremiah 29. This is Daniel 5. This is Daniel 3. And this is also Romans 13 and Romans 13 explicitly. Because in Romans 13 explicitly, it says, submit to the governing authorities. It doesn't say, go and try and convert the governing authorities to prevent them from persecuting you and instead persecuting everybody else. (laughs) That's not found anywhere in scripture. No. And so all of these sort of things already are breaking off most of the pieces, but the big one that Christian nationalism hangs on is this idea of we are called to disciple the nation out of Matthew 28. And so that's how we're going to close this out. We're going to look at that specifically. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says what again, Brandon? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, teach them, disciple them. And then it starts all over again. Go back. Then you send them to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize and everything. It just mm-hmm. keeps going and going and going. The endless loop. It's Energizer Bunny time, right? <laughs> the word nation there is ethnos, which is where we get our term for ethnicity, right? Mm-hmm. It's talking about, see, I this is one problem I do have, is that the description that is given is that it says it's a race. But race is not actually a real thing. You're saying the... The definition that we get out of what ethnos means. Race does not exist. Although, this is again the argument that is given out of why Israel, they claim, is a Christian nationalist nation, even though they would be a Jewish nationalist. But the claim is that it's a Christian nationalist nation, is that it was about their race. Judaism was the key. But then also be a nation, which is what we normally Mm -hmm. translate as, or the nations, as in nations that are not Israel. And specifically, it would be a the heathens, the Gentiles, the non-Jews that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 28. All of that most people are going to say, yeah, that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you're saying go into all the world, make disciples, that would mean all the people that are not already currently here, which would be, be the, the Jews. Gentiles, yeah. Right. Why we believe that this is a call for the people of a nation and not the nations themselves is what we have to start breaking down. Because, again, the word itself does not help us because it could be either people or peoples as far as nations. Mm -hmm. So why we say that it is individuals is because of what it is that Jesus is actually calling us to do. The first thing he calls us to do is to go out and make what? Disciples. Disciples. Discipleship, not conversion. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say go out and convert a bunch of people. He says, go and make disciples. Which typically takes time. It takes time. It takes intentionality. Mm -hmm. And it's personal. This is not a political thing. 
Discipleship is personal because it's about talking together, studying together, clearing of one's minds together, watching God transform and renew. Watching the things that used to puff us up now be what we are stripping down. It's accountability, it's behavior changes, it's watching and affirming the fact that I see this gift in you, I see this fruit in you. It's helping people understand how we are supposed to actually do these things together in community. What Christian nationalism is talking about is conversion, not discipleship. Mm -hmm. Because there's no personality of a government that we are supposed to be doing this with. Just putting in laws saying now we are a Christian nation does nothing. If you want proof of that, just go back and look at the history of the Middle Ages, where the church was in control of a lot of things. There was still war. There was still famine. There was still poor. There were still oppressed people. There were still all of these different things that supposedly Christian nationalism is claiming that they can fix. Yeah, which we know sin will always get in right. the way. What it means to be a Christian is about a personal relationship with the Messiah. A nation can't have that. And this is where, again, we go into the idea of can a government actually meet the requirements of what it means to be a Christian that we talked about at the top of the, ep- or in the middle of the episode here. Can a government actually meet those requirements? And this is the argument really of the idea of Israel versus the church. The argument from a lot of people is that Israel was a nationalist theocracy, Mm. right? It was about being Jewish. It was about the law of God. It was about cleansing oneself. It was about worship. It was about all these different things. And that to be Jewish meant that you were a follower of Yahweh, or at least you were supposed to be a follower of Yahweh. (laughs) And that... It was through the law that you showed that you were a follower of Yahweh. That That's what it meant. And so the argument then is that if that's what Israel was, then the church should be something very similar to that. Because again, replacement theology, we are Israel now. Mm-hmm. Again, horrible eschatology, horrible theology, but that's not necessarily what we're arguing with right now. <laughs> the issue is that Israel was not ever supposed to be isolationist. It was not actually about Israel at all. And we see this from the very beginning of the call of Abram. In Genesis 12, when God calls Abram out to go out to the land, he promises him descendants and nations and everything else. But part of what that call also includes is that you will be a blessing to all of the world. Mm. Not just your It's not just about your nation. The nation of Israel was to be a light for the world. Right? This is what we understand with Christocentric biblical reading is that everything that was going on in the Old Testament was pointing us to the reality of who Christ was and is. The nation of Israel was supposed to be a light to the community. This is part of the thing, even when people are saying, well, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible doesn't condone slavery. What we see in the Old Testament law regarding slaves was that Israel's laws for slavery were completely different and revolutionary compared to every one of their neighbors. Mm. Because Israel came out of slavery. And now when they have slaves themselves, there's paths to freedom. Mm. You are not to mistreat your slaves. In many ways, you are not going to be taking slaves to breed them. Even the idea of these, and God doesn't even say, go do this. He says, if you're going to do this, this is what it needs to look like. Yeah, he's recognizing that this is This is not something that he's wanting to happen, but this is something that he will allow for a time. You know, this has been the message that we've been going through at Third Street with Onesimus and Philemon. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul is very clear without saying the words themselves. He's very clear what Onesimus should be doing in freeing Philemon, his brother. 
because it's not about us. It's not about having the power structure. It's about other people, both in our body, the body of Christ, mm-hmm. not in our bodies, Physical body, in the body yeah. of Christ <laughs> or outside of it. Israel was a light to the nations. They were proclaiming that God was still on his throne. And even in exile, that God still was going to fulfill his promises. And even post-exile, as they were under oppression, and suddenly it felt like God was not talking to them anymore, that God still had a plan and that God was still going to bless the entire world through the nation of Israel, through the birth of the Messiah. That is what Israel was supposed to be. They were a light to their community. They were not an isolated, set off, you must be Jewish to be a part of this community, even though there were parts of that. Mm -hmm. They were not about national supremacy. It was all supposed to be about the supremacy of Yahweh. So then from a tangible point, how would you recommend somebody either breaking this down or um, further living out. I don't know how to say that either like breaking down Christian nationalism that they're seeing or not living into that. Of If you're, if you're talking about how do we, if you want a very short way of breaking Christian nationalism down to show that it should not be happening. All you have to do is start with ecclesiology of the call of the church is to serve our community, not run it. The call of the church is to serve other people, not dominate them. Christian nationalism now does not work because we are to serve, not to rule. Mm -hmm. That's the easiest way to do it is ecclesiologically. It cannot work. So I guess probably the best way is just live out what the calling of us. We live out what we are supposed to do is what we, we should be doing from the beginning is living this sort of thing. out. That's the easiest way to. Right. If we're going go, we go to go against it, if you're needing to actually argue this or present this in a way to your leadership as to why this is a problem. The theology behind it is you just need ecclesiology and you need the Imago Dei is all you need. Because ecclesiologically, the church can't be a part of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Nationalism in itself is ethnocentric and we are not called to be that. We're called to be Christocentric mm-hmm. and we are called to love our neighbors because they're image bearers. Yeah. And again, love our enemy <laughs> and love our enemies because they're image bearers. Yeah. Christian nationalism cannot work. It cannot fit together because if you're going to have a nationalist state and claim it to be Christian, you either are not nationalist or you're not Christian. And to claim otherwise is to proclaim a false gospel, mm-hmm. which is why we call this out. Yeah, which going back to the overall topic is going to create hurt. It creates hurt. It creates abuse. It creates all these other things. This is something that even, you know, this is part of the reason why it is actually growing within the United States. Again, we've talked the Cold War theology stuff is a major part of this. Cold War theology is what allowed us to get to the point that January 6th happened. But January 6th happening and pastors not condemning it is what allowed for the people that have been in the shadows teaching Christian nationalism to now be able to proclaim it loudly. Mm -hmm. Because now it's accepted as this is what it means to be evangelical and conservative and Christian within the United States is to look like this. And that can not be what what the world thinks of American Christians for one. And two, that cannot be the identity that Christianity is taking on because it does not fit biblically. Mm -hmm. And it cannot fit biblically, no matter how many verses you try and twist to make it sound like you are actually reading a real Bible. And as harsh as that sounds, that's exactly what people claiming Christian nationalism is biblical is doing. It's either they're not reading a real Bible or they're creating one in their own image. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. So we're going to talk Hindu nationalism next week. And hopefully we'll be able to see the the parallels much clearer as to why this is a problem with Christian nationalism as well. 
We're also going to look at some of the other areas within the nationalism as far as with the caste system with Prudy, um, assuming that it actually is going to work next week. <laughs> um, in the meantime, though, again, we are closing out season two, but all this stuff is still up. So the website, the stores, the coffee, all of that is still up. We're hoping to have some fun new stuff in the store here uh, in March. Um, Patreon is still up. So go patreon.com backslash Minister Misfits and join there because we're hoping to add the Bible study stuff here once we actually yeah, figure out month or so <laughs> potentially once, once yep. we figure out if we're actually going to be able to do it we'll we'll start adding all that information up as well um we still hopefully have some fun fun guests coming back again hopefully we get schedules worked out and we can share joe ash's big news with everybody that we've suddenly discovered um as well as talk with prudy maybe we'll get a live performance maybe We'll see. I, I don't know. Maybe we can talk him into it for Patreon. That that may be the key to getting Patreon to boom. So, in the meantime, we will see you guys next week. The Ministry Misfits podcast is a production of Ministry Misfit Media in association with Overwhelming Victory. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers, and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. The Ministry Misfits theme song is written and produced by J.D. Laird and Laird Creative Agency. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at Ministry Misfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also visit our website at www.ministrymisfits.com or through bio.link backslash ministrymisfits. If you would like to support Ministry Misfits, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com backslash ministry misfits.